Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to episode 26 of SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring authors, publishing professionals, and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and this week we venture into the virtual as I discuss cyberpunk, past, present, future, with authors Malka Older, T.R. Knapper, Lincoln Michelle, and Craig Lee Gordon. Cyberpunk is one of my absolute favorite genres, and I've been anxiously anticipating this panel for a while. This conversation was dense, as we uncovered so many interesting facets of cyberpunk. From the genre's origins and hard-boiled fiction, to topics like low-life and high-tech, the dichotomy of urban versus rural settings, worn-out cyberpunk tropes, resuscitating cyberpunk for a new century, and more. Our discussion simply opened my eyes to the nuances of a genre that I adore. If you have any feedback about this episode, questions, comments, counters, and the like, send me an email at sffaddictspod at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at sffaddictspod or at Adrian M. Gibson. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody to episode 26 of the podcast, where we will be discussing the past, present, and future of one of science fiction's most prolific subgenres, cyberpunk. I absolutely adore cyberpunk, and stylistically, thematically, atmospherically, it's one of my favorite genres to consume, whether it's movies, TV, books, that kind of thing. From Blade Runner and Ghost in the Shell to Akira, Neuromancer, The Matrix, and more, cyberpunk is a staple of the sci fi canon. But I'm really curious, and this is what kind of sparked this discussion my decision to do this is where is the genre headed and how does that speak about where cyberpunk came from and today i'm joined by an amazing panel of guest authors all making their first appearances on the show to help decipher these questions with me and first up is malka older she's an author worker and aid worker and sociologist wrote the sentinel cycle including infomocracy null states and State Tectonics, and she also created the fiction serial Ninth Step Station, wrote the the short story collection and other disasters, and has written opinion pieces for the New York Times, The Nation, and more. So welcome to the show, Malka. How are you? Thanks. It's great to be here. Great topic. (laughs) Thank you for being here. And also with us is T.R. Knapper, the doctor of cyberpunk. He's a former aid worker, so shout out to the aid workers here today. And now he is an author, having published the novel 36 Streets and the short story collection Neon Leviathan. He also wrote his doctorate thesis in creative writing on The Dark Century, 1946 to 2046, noir, cyberpunk, and Asian modernity. So I'm really excited to get your opinions on all this. Glad to have you here, Tim. How are you? Thank you. I'm a bit disappointed I have to speak so intelligently, but other than that, I'm very happy to be here. You can handle yourself. I know you can. Don't worry about it. (laughs) We'll see. And next up is Lincoln Michelle. 
a short story writer, novelist, teacher, and editor. His short fiction has appeared in the Paris Review, Tin House Noon, and more. And his essays have appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, and Vice, among others. He's also edited the anthologies Tiny Nightmares and Tiny Crimes, as well as penned the novel The Body Scout and the short story collection Upright Beasts. Thank you for being with us today, Lincoln. How's it going? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure. And finally, Craig Lee Gordon, author of Arvect, Hypercage, Obey Defy, The Acid Sweet Books, and more. He was also forever changed by a rental copy of RoboCop when he was 12, <laughs> a defining moment that I'm sure influenced him to become a cyberpunk author. And I'm very excited to hear your opinions on everything, but very happy to have you here, Craig, and welcome to SFF Addicts. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to. And to kick off the discussion, I wanted to know what is everyone's personal history with the cyberpunk genre? You know, what are some of the earliest stories or films or shows that you remember coming across and what impression did that leave on you? So I will start with you, Lincoln. Um, well, you know, I don't think I have a super surprising answer to this. I think probably Blade Runner was the first movie I saw in that kind of genre and um, probably neuromancer or you know if we're counting do androids dream of electric sheep were like the first books i read but uh, i was definitely drawn to it pretty early on especially as someone who really grew up with like in the punk rock scene so like i kind of came mm. to it from the, the you, punk you side of punk the, the, the early days nice well i'm not that old i'm not not pretend, but i just mean that you know <laughs> i really like the kind of punk ethos of at least those mm. early cyberpunk books i mean maybe later we'll talk about whether the punk label is still appropriate or not uh but you know i was i was primed to love a genre that was about how corporate dystopia was destroying the world because that seemed like what i was already <laughs> headbanging to that was your vibe at the time yeah. i love that and malka what about you yeah now i'm trying to remember like whether i first encountered Neuromancer or um, uh, Blade Runner or what, like what order I read them in. Um, definitely Snow Crash was like a very big influence for me. Um, and yeah, now I'm not sure actually if I read that and then went to Gibson or I had read Gibson first. Um, but also I recently rewatched Sneakers which is kind of a, oh guys right, right kind of a hollywoodification like it holds up really well in some ways and much less well in others um but it it really is an mm. interesting maybe reflection of the genre more than installment because it you know it, it is a little bit of a remove but it's yeah it's it's really a a fun movie <laughs> yeah i haven't seen sneakers in forever but that is a a deep cut <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Tim, what about you? Yeah, I don't think my um, entry point to cyberpunk is particularly original. I think it started, uh, I was kind of obsessed with Philip K. Dick when I was quite young. Um, he's, you could call him proto-cyberpunk, I suppose. And that was maybe the starting point. Blade Runner blew me away. It was so transportative, you know, um, and uh, still holds up 40 years later, I suppose now. Uh, and the other one was Ghosts in the Shell. Uh, I think the Ghosts in the Shell uh, embodies some of the really important somatic concerns I think cyberpunk has. Um, so those, probably those three, I was trying to think of something original when everyone else was talking, but I really think it was those three was the, was the starting point of it all, um, if we're talking about when we started in cyberpunk, yeah. Nice. And Craig, what was your first introduction to it? 
Yeah, I mean, you've already called uh, called that out, really, uh, which was Robocop. So I was um, I was homesick one day off school and I uh, asked my mum to get me a couple of videos from the video shop. And I mean, it was a bit different back then, but I basically asked for Robocop and colours. So she came back with uh, with both of those. And uh, yeah, so Robocop was definitely my my first sort of foray in, uh, into cyberpunk. And then uh, in the UK, Channel 4 had a, a long running sort of series where they showed loads of anime and like everyone else that was pretty much you know ghost in the shell akira mm. and also uh cyber city oedo 808 nice. um and then yeah growing up again just like obviously robocop total recall terminator just all of that sort of stuff free and all just kind of fused together always loved sci-fi anyway but yeah just after seeing all of that sort of media it just really really kind of honed me in and uh, you know cyberpunk is pretty much what i love watching what i love uh, writing it's interesting awesome. that yeah, when, I mean, when we talk about our influences ahead, um that we're largely talking about film yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. and because it, when sometimes when people say hey cyberpunk's a big thing now this people are into cyberpunk i often wonder about how much of it is in video games and film and how much we've been influenced by something a medium that's so aesthetically gorgeous um and that we we i think snow crash was named and neuromancer was named but we didn't and philip Dick, but we really didn't talk about many books and i do wonder compared to other subgenres how much of this the influence of this is purely from from film you know yeah because it's such an aesthetically visual uh genre because there's so much distinction of like the neon, the rain, the kind of stuff that Blade Runner really laid the foundation And, and for. I think that's one of the reasons it's so, it's quite hard to write and very easy to write badly um, because <laughs> the because you can get caught up in the visuals and I think you can sometimes yeah. miss some of the thematic elements of cyberpunk. Very true. Lincoln, you were going to say something? Oh, just bringing up, I think you're quite right about the influence of video games, especially for like younger people today. But that made me think of, Maybe my first introduction to cyberpunk was the video game series Syndicate. Syndicate yeah. and Syndicate Wars. Ooh, yeah. yeah, man. You, you yeah. played these assassins going around for corporations to s- kidnap scientists. Yeah. <laughs> man, I haven't heard about that one in a long time. But this kind of this kind of lays the foundation for something that I think is is really interesting. Like for you personally, each of you, what attracts you to the genre? Uh, Lincoln, I'll start with you. Well, I think, you know, there is a lot of interest in the the visuals and stuff. But for me, you know, as a fiction writer, I do think the the themes are what draw the themes and the the kind of style and atmosphere of it. And so I think, you know, that is like an interesting comment about how much of it comes from film. And I think that that's, that's true. But I also think probably I'm not unique and also combining in my mind like the noir elements of noir books i love like raymond chandler and stuff and then the science fiction elements of Mm. science fiction that's critical of of capitalism and corporatism and all of that and again i mean a million writers have done this um but i think when i'm thinking of my influences writing a lot of it was like oh i love philip k dick and i love raymond chandler how do i put those together so maybe more than like how do i follow in the footsteps of snow crash yeah it's like how do i take the the weirdness of Philip K. Dick and the the technological sort of like absurdities that he plays with and the ideas of the mind and, and the body and consciousness and, and reality 
and then blending that with, you know, the hard boiled uh, sort of foundation, which we will get into uh, in a little bit. Um, yeah, but Malka, what's go ahead, Lincoln. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to name drop uh, Margaret Atwood's Madam trilogy was also Ooh. another it's like series that was it was very uh, big for me. But I wouldn't call it cyberpunk itself, but I was like, oh, I could. Yeah. You know. Yeah, more more like, I don't know, I hate the term, but cli-fi climate fiction kind of thing. But <laughs> Malka, what's uh, you know, what attracts you to cyberpunk? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting question because I I'm now suddenly known as like a post cyberpunk author when I actually have written and thought about different things, but that's sort of the one that it works. Um, and mm -hmm. so I was thinking back to like why I started writing that novel with a very cyberpunk approach. And you know, I think that the early cyberpunk, there was so much cool about it. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, there was that aesthetic you, you mentioned in the movies, but I think it went way on that in terms of like um, just sort of technological conundrums and, and, um, and, and tech that looked very cool, you know, Molly's uh, mirror shades and uh, I don't know, yeah. um, so many examples. I was also thinking when you mentioned video games of Shadowrun as like something that I yes. remember a, a friend had and was like, you know, how how it was sort of different problems and different, um, a, a whole different sort of setting. Uh, and so, so that newness, that feeling of newness. And then, you know, I think aesthetic kind of came the ideas at that time of what new and edgy looked like and then it kind of just trailed into to, to stay in that way even as new and edgy evolved um so so yeah i think i think a lot of that sense of newness the sense of kind of pushing out on the boundaries of technology um combined with those larger themes of like really questioning who's in control of technology and what is technology doing to us and so on yeah i completely agree and uh craig you you mentioned uh, your influences, but what is it that really attracts you about the genre? I think it's it's the use of the technology, really. Um, like I've always I've always just loved technology and futurism, and even for music, that's what always drew me towards techno because it was always purported to be you know the sound of the future. Um, <laughs> and then there's a, there's a couple of specific themes that I just I kind of keep going back to when I'm rewatching films or with my own work. And that's just things like transhumanism, uh, perceptions of reality and the singularity as well. Like the, I think those three are, for me are, are the key, key kind of themes and uh, sort of concepts, which draw me towards cyberpunk, you know, as I said, watching things like total recall perceptions of reality there and your memories and you've got the memories aspect of mm. Blade Runner. And then also, you know, the matrix, you know, perception of reality there and even things like strange days. Uh, and I know, I know we've said, you know, quite often mentioned film and less often fiction, but yeah, it's those kind of concepts from watching things on a being growing up to, writing my own stuff that's the sort of stuff that really draws me towards cyberpunk nice and tim what about you yeah this is always a hard question because i think often people start writing and then for me i started writing and someone said oh you're a cyberpunk writer and i went oh okay sure why not um <laughs> i didn't choose that <laughs> yeah i i suppose you are I mean, for me, it was an obsession with, you know, I love hardboard fiction. I love Dashiell Hammett. Mm. Uh, I do 
from from working in aid and so forth, and and I, I'm interested in very political. Cyberpunk can be, it's not always, but can be very political, um, very dark, and very very much suited my sensibilities. But I suppose the thing about cyberpunk is it's punk, so it's anti-authoritarian and anti-elite and countercultural and to some extent anti-capitalist, and it cyberpunk stands on the side of the marginalised. Yeah, it takes the view from the streets. And I see cyberpunk kind of as a literature of defiance. Um, uh, and I suppose you, the idea, one of the things about cyberpunk I, that I'm attracted to is that you're not writing, it's not the hero's journey, you know. It's not a happy ending. you people who are just trying to retain some sense of humanity in the face of this crushing system and they usually lose. But in a sense, I suppose, it's a very humanist genre, and that's maybe what's attracted me to it. Yeah. Well, this is this is setting up perfectly for more or less like the origins of the genre. You touched on a few things, but, you know, there's a lot of noir and detective story influence, um, you know, and that noir aesthetic has carried through a lot of what has defined cyberpunk, you know, big themes and aesthetics like the morally gray characters or the oppressive systems in the more dystopian settings, the low life and high tech kind of thing is an extension of, you know, the rough hierarchies of, of society in, in a lot of noir stories. And then on top of that, you have access to a certain thing, but in the case of cyberpunk, a lot of the time it's access to technology or it's, capitalism run amok and mm. people are left destitute in in that sense so tim if you could continue on this a little bit in terms of things that you've uh discovered while writing your doctorate thesis while studying the genre uh and then while writing your own fiction about the the origins of of cyberpunk well i mean i, I won't i i won't speak for too long because i'm kind of curious about what everyone thinks but i i, I will but i'll but I'll focus on a couple of things. One of the things, one of the antecedents of cyberpunk, I do think is hard-boiled fiction. Um, I think that if you look at Neuromancer and if you look at um, Blade Runner, William Gibson and Ridley Scott both acknowledge the influence of hard-boiled fiction in their work. Mm -hmm. And if you look at even Dashiell Hammett's fiction of hard-boiled fiction of you know, 1929 and the 1930s, even though at the time it was just seen as detective fiction. Really, I think in some ways it was a critique of modernity. It was a critique of labour versus capital. Uh, he was talking about the dark city as something that's alienating, yeah? He was looking at the way that this, because he was a Pinkerton detective in real life, and he saw the clash of labour versus capital, uh, and he saw how alienating that was. Uh, and he went from that into writing. He uh, was uh, refused to name names, I think, in, in the McCarthy hearings, uh, what are they, the Un-American Committee or whatever they're called. Um, and he went to jail. And this is a dude who fought in two world wars. Uh, he, uh, and so this is, and he joined the Communist Party. Um, so he was, he was quite radicalised by his experience with um, uh, those those early days 
of the transformation, urbanization. And I think that 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 thread has gone through noir film noir very clearly into neo-noir and right. into cyberpunk. I mean, one of the original names for cyberpunk was tech noir for good reason. Before that, before whoever it was, um, the guy who wrote the short story named Cyberpunk and thought of a way better name than Tech Noir. So we had to we had to stick <laughs> with that. Um, so I think at, at its core, and I do think these thematic issues have continued over through to Cyberpunk, is there is a critique of modernity there. And if we look today, Cyberpunk, it's it's critiquing staggering inequality, surveillance, capitalism. Um mm-hmm. uh all these different things. Um, and I think you can draw that line back to the hardboard fiction um, of what, 80 years ago, 90 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, do you want to, do you want to build on what uh, Tim has been exploring? Yeah, sure. I mean, the thing I find about cyberpunk is it's probably one of the, the oddest genres when you come to try and define it, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have complete, sometimes not opposing views, but, and I think the aesthetic that was derived from films like Blade Runner have a, like a large part of that where sometimes if it is, if it isn't mega corporations and hardball detectives and neon and rain slick streets, sometimes people don't even think it's cyberpunk. You know, you could quite easily say that Mr. Robot was a cyberpunk piece of work, but if you try and put that to people sometimes they they just wouldn't accept it because it's aesthetically it's not like that or it's not set in the future but yeah. it does have a lot of sort of cyberpunk themes you know, but we're, we're living in a cyberpunk it's... present so of, of course you can set it down <laughs> you know all the things that they were warning us about is exist right now so yeah, yeah. mr robot is dark uh, black mirror is absolutely sorry mm-hmm. but sorry craig no no it's okay so that's what i'm saying it's just it's strange because <clears throat> You've got one aspect of cyberpunk, which is, you know, the retro futurism going back to the 80s. And you've got the whole sort of techno orient orientalism and, you know, especially in Blade Runner, like the use of kanji and the fear of Japan and uh, all that sort of stuff. Or you get, and so if you're writing cyberpunk, you can almost kind of write it from that perspective, or you can kind of look at it from, like a modern take can almost kind of project into the future from where you are today. So you've almost got like two, two options for how you want to kind of approach a cyberpunk work, whether you want to adopt all of the old school sort of tropes and the retro futurism, or whether you want to take a more modern approach and more of a, like a post cyberpunk kind of view. So yeah, like I just find it's, I, can't, I haven't seen any other genre where you can see people arguing online about whether something is or isn't cyberpunk. You know, you don't, you don't typically mm-hmm. get that of people having arguments online about what is and isn't space opera. It's just it's just a very strange genre for me from that perspective because, as I say, there's like a lot of people can't agree on what cyberpunk is. Even though I would say space opera is just as nebulous as cyberpunk yeah, as well, but I think there <laughs> is a there is a certain sort of um structure to space opera that people i think are a little bit more uh happy to define such as you know like alien races and faster than light travel and spaceships and blah 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 but cyberpunk is perhaps even more nebulous than uh than space opera but i like what you say about you know they're sort of 
this genre that has its foot in the past and the future at the same time. And it's really yeah. interesting to see how modern authors are, you know, adopting uh, a stance for themselves within the canon, but also grappling with the genre's past while also looking toward a future that is more reflective of our own lived experience, the way that we're dealing with it uh, right now. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I want to get uh, Malka's take on, you know, sort of the origins of cyberpunk, the things that we've been talking about, the noir elements and that kind of thing, and where you think um, or how you feel about where the genre has come from. That is something I kind of want to want to draw on a little bit, because I think one of the interesting things in the way that cyberpunk has evolved and and I, I agree with a lot of what's already been said about the nebulousness and sort of how you know the aesthetic took on a disproportionate importance maybe um but you know i think part of that was that you know when cyberpunk was uh you know when it when it was kind of invented when it was starting when it was um thriving it was very cutting edge and it was very much imagining the future and the punk part, I think, was really important in ways that we forget, or not, probably not we, but like a lot of people forget, um, in the sense of like this new thing and the people who kind of got into the new thing from the ground level in a grimy and hands-on way had almost superpowers as this new thing became more and more important in society. And, and so, you know, there's this feeling along with all the darkness, right? There's this feeling of both potential and um, resistance, rebellion, and uh, kind of, you know, shortcutting or finding ways around things in clever ways um, that have to do with often risking a part of yourself or a lot of your um, means of existence or physical elements of your body in this new, you know, virtual world. Um, so I think that that was really important to the genre and that as cyber and the virtual have become just pervasive in our lives in most of the planet, um, <clears throat> that has gotten really diluted and it's become sort of more complicated to access that feeling of punk and resistance. Um, while at the same time, you know, cyberpunk continues to feel cool and like the aesthetic is cool and people want to do what the people they read when they were kids did their stories. Right. And so people keep writing it. And, you know, and I think that there are those punk and resistance stories still out there, um, but they do play differently in a world where every, where, you know, not everyone in reality, but, the, but everyone who is on the internet talking about it <laughs> at least is already very hooked into this. Um, so I think that the, you know, the, the genre needs to, if it's going to keep those punk roots and those resistance roots um, needs to, to really look at, you know, who are the people who are actually using special skills in this area's resistance. And also like, what are the newer areas that are um, breaking out and, and moving forward either, you know, within the virtual or other stuff um, that would be mm. interesting and useful to punk at this point. So, yeah. I like that. And Lincoln, as our resident punk, do you want to <laughs> <laughs> comment on what's been said? Yeah, well, I agree with pretty much everything said. You know, I, if I didn't want to cycle back to something where I would, I actually think that the the Zoom issues are totally very cyberpunk. Yeah, because I one agree. of the, <laughs> one of the things that drew me to the genre, and I think that this is a connection with with hard boiled 
as well, is that, you know, it explores, these genres explore the seams of society, right? Like where, where the different parts of society other and where certain people fall through the gaps and all of that, right? And so there's a lot of that in hard-boiled uh, fiction and yeah, something like something like Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest could easily be updated as a yeah. brilliant cyberpunk book. One thing that really drew me to the genre and that I think relates to this question is that cyberpunk interrogates the, the frictions and the inequalities of technology in a way that a lot of science fiction doesn't. Like I love Star Trek and stuff, but a lot of science fiction like that has this kind of world of seamless technology where yep. it all works works great and, and such. But cyberpunk, you know, from, you know, the opening of Neuromancer where, you know, Case is in pain and there's a bartender who's who's half, you know, got European steelwork on his, you know, bleeding gums or whatever's happening. I haven't read that book in a while. But, you know, <laughs> it interrogates that that kind of part of technology in a way that a lot of science fiction doesn't. And that just feels... Mm increasingly relevant in a world in which yes we're super futuristic but then technology breaks down all the time and you know what that's obviously there's that famous gibson quote about the future's already here it's just distributed unequally right but that's Mm. that's only more and more true as we get into this kind of global world of inequality on every level from from money to medical debt to to access to technology, to protection from climate change, and so on and so forth. So that that feels like a really relevant part of the genre's origins that kind of comes from from hardboiled fiction, and that's that's an essential part of the DNA to me. Yeah, and also something that I feel is a perfect extension of that is the settings in which a lot of cyberpunk stories take place, and a lot of the times they take place in cities. And I feel like cities are the kinds of places where it is easier for people to fall through the cracks that there are more seams for people to slip into. And, and there is a, a sort of inherent uh, hierarchy within cities of the, the poor lower classes up to the uber rich and, and the, and the corporations and stuff like that, that has been very present in cyberpunk uh, since the early days. Uh, Tim, do you want to, do you want to take off on that in terms of cities as sort of, a setting, oh, but also what makes them I, potentially an ideal setting for cyberpunk. I do agree with what you're saying. Um, however, I do. There's also in certainly in Australian neo noir, there is a, a, a and I've, I think you, I've seen this in the states as well. But you do see how the the country towns are fading away, and they're fading mm-hmm. away because they're not relevant anymore in this global economy. And these communities and these peoples are disappearing. With the dark city, I will say this. In some Australian cyberpunk, including mine, and in some of our noir, instead of the dark city, you have the desert, yeah? You have this Mm. blasted landscape. There's no shade. It's completely alienating. Um, It's oppressive. There's almost a gothic horror associated with the, the... the the natural environment. The thing about the dark cities and or I should say the thing about the environment without, it reflects, it can reflect the internal psychological disposition of a protagonist. So if you think about a dark city, it's alienating. It's oppressive, okay? To some extent, it's out to get you. If you think about a desert, it's alienating. It's oppressive. Um, So the 
it reflects the psychological disposition of the character you're talking about. So you could actually write cyberpunk out of the city, but there's a, a the, if the climate is oppressive, it's reflecting the, the what the character is going through on the inside. But of course, the thing about the dark city, I think it goes back to urbanization, and I think it goes back to um, this new form of society where you you have the homeless, you have people who don't have access to these to these advanced technologies, um, and that it is really very fertile ground for discussing these issues of inequality um, because it's something that is familiar to us as well at the same time. Yeah, and I like what you said. I'm, I'm happy that you brought up the desert. It is very fitting that for Australian neo-noir writers and sci-fi writers and stuff like that, the desert is kind of like a... Obviously, it's a natural extension of your lives as Australians, but it's also a natural extension of the cyberpunk genre going back to something like Blade Runner, where outside of Los Angeles, you know, nuclear uh, woes and nuclear fear and and the possibility of nuclear annihilation was kind of represented in the desertification of of nature and the surrounding environments and everyone conglomerating into these dark, decrepit oppressive cities but i like that duality that you brought up that was really mm. really good point um lincoln do you want to do you want to talk about cities a little bit but also uh comment on what tim said yeah well i think i think you could write cyberpunk anywhere and i think you know the point about the desert i mean my book actually ends in the, the character ends in the desert so i i can see that <laughs> that attraction um i think you know there's something the city cities lay bare these inequalities right like everything is collaged together and stacked yeah. on top of each other and you're you know you're in new york city you're on the subway riding next to millionaires and homeless people and not that those inequalities don't exist in small towns and and such but they're more the barriers are enforced a little more right you know the wrong side of the tracks and all that and in the city it's all piled on top of each other and so in that way it seems like a natural if not by any means exclusive setting for the kind of cyberpunk themes. And I, I mean, yeah. I guess the other obvious thing about the city is that cities tend to be the center of technological progress and, yeah. and, and new ideas just because there's so many people there and so many industries there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And uh, Malka, uh, do you want to touch on this a little bit, but also, you know, in, uh, you know, inf infomocracy, for example, there's a lot of uh, city hopping. You know, you have different characters hopping uh, to different cities around the world, like Tokyo. Um, I believe it's, uh, I think it's Rio de Janeiro in uh, in South America and in Brazil as well. So what's your take on cities? But then also, uh, how did you approach that from representing different cities that have a different sort of, uh, as Lincoln was saying, uh, stratification or layering in terms of uh, crossover between different peoples from different strata? Yeah, I mean, I was I was very conscious going into that book that, um, I mean, it's it starts in Japan, and that may be part of the reason that I it became it was such a cyberpunk book in my head to begin with. Um, but that's because I was I was working in Japan, and I was working in Japan in the aftermath of the um, the 2011 tsunami and and nuclear. No. And so that was that there was like a, a a specific mood there that really matched some of what I was going for in the opening of the book. Um, but you know, having connected Japan to cyberpunk, it was then very clear to me that like cyberpunk, along with a lot of other science fiction, tends to focus on Japan 
a lot, Asia more generally, well, East Asia, I should say more generally, and and then the US and mm -hmm. sometimes Europe, uh, London a lot, Berlin sometimes. So, you know, I, I was really, as I went into this and particularly thinking about a book that wanted to talk about a mostly global system, I really wanted to make sure that I hit a lot of different places. And it was actually hugely fun for me to do that because I got to take this idea and play it out um, through different places that I knew more or less well and try to imagine them into the future. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I did realize as when I started thinking about the second book that the first book had been very urban, um, very city centric. Uh, and I wanted to try to look at what it would be like in less urban, more remote places. So that's that I tried to go into that more in the, in the second book consciously, but, you know, yeah, I do think, um, I, even though I'm someone who has lived in quite rural and remote places at various times in my life, I tend to gravitate towards cities and urban issues. Um, and I think, you know, we tend to see that as a, as a useful palette for, for painting these, both the, these like inequalities and larger themes, but also, you know, new technology and the idea of things sort of um, burgeoning and, and, and spontaneously people coming up with things, right? Um, but I think mm -hmm. it is really important to look at both the the rural areas and of all different varieties. And, you know, now I think too, that's that's just, it's more and more clear that technology is really getting into, you know, if you look at what they're doing with artificial intelligence on agriculture um, or, uh, you know, on, on what they're doing with um, mobile finance in places where people don't have banks. I mean, it's, it's really mm -hmm. um, getting into this and, and spurring some new stuff in a lot of these areas. And they're just gonna be more and more crucial too, as we <laughs> uh, worry more and more about our food supplies and our water supplies and um, and so on. So, you know, I think it's it's an area that, that needs more looking. And again, you know, I think we really need to be looking outside of um, the, the global north and the rich countries and really thinking about the way that technology is being, um, appropriated to use that verb with all the love, like the way the technology is being taken and turned around and modified and used for different things than it was intended and unlocked and um, switched around. Because that is, you know, those are the cyberpunk stories, um, whether they're happening, you know, in people setting up free internet connections illegally in Detroit, where people are squatting in houses, or whether it's happening in um, the way that people are tweaking locked products when they they go to places that nobody can afford them and and turning them into something else you know that's the that's the punk element now and that's what we need to be looking at if we want to continue this theme of resistance yeah wholeheartedly agree and and it's really interesting for me you know i, I live in in quito ecuador and going to visit the amazon jungle and staying with a community uh that's living there and it's insane like to see an indigenous Amazonian tribe that has developed into a community and everyone's got phones. They're in the middle of the Amazon and it's just like this guy who lives in the Amazon just whips out his phone and, you know, shows us some pictures. And I'm just like, my mind was absolutely blown to see mm. firsthand how pervasive technology has become that I could go to the middle of the Amazon jungle, which in a lot of people's mind is one of the most remote places you can go in the world. 
and to find a a community of people who have been living there for hundreds if not thousands of years and one of them just whips out a phone and it's absolutely insane uh craig do you want to do you want to build on what everyone's been talking about in terms of i guess at this point it's like urban and rural as a as a setting discussion i can just point something or add something before before we move on i just um that reminds me of a story uh by alejo carpentier who's a a a cuban writer about um it's called los pasos perdidos the lost oh wow the lost and it's the idea of this guy goes into the jungle and you know meets a community and he he thinks he's gone into the past like and it's such a common analogy to make right that if we're in some place remote where people are living the way they always have we have gone to the past and it it's Mm. kind of the flip of this future being unevenly distributed and i think that you know there's something really there about like less is what what it really says more about us and what we think our future will look like and like technological progressivism and who gets to have technology and um also you know the past is like unchanging and communities is unchanging if they're untouched by technology and you know there's just i think there's a lot wrapped up in that um that's really interesting and and has a lot to do with why people are fascinated by cyberpunk and the types of cyberpunk they get written so sorry i just wanted to put that in on that way and yeah over to you craig it was a good point. Thank you, Marco. Craig, go for it. Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, like story setting for Arvect, there was there was only really one logical place to set it, and that was the city. Um, I guess just because I assumed one, you're not really going to have collectives of underground brain hackers running around grabbing people off the streets in uh, in rural countryside and things like that. Uh, but uh, I guess as far as using cities as a setting. What we talked about, it's I guess it's easier to kind of make those comparisons between, you know, where things aren't equal between different levels of society. Um, I know uh I think pretty sure it wasn't in the book, but in the TV series of Altered Carbon, when they talk when uh when they go and visit the Methuselahs, they are, they literally live in the in clouds, clouds, in yeah. fl- like floating kind of uh, sort of like expanses of like real estate and things like that. And then obviously you've got the, the dregs of society kind of living on the streets. And uh, I guess it's just easier with cities to try and make that that sort of comparison. Um, it's funny because as far as Arvec goes and like world building and using the city, I used the city to try and set up the fact that it was, the world was, it's supposed to, it's, it looks like a utopia. But it's not really, and kind of lean into you know what I talked about before about altering the perception of reality and how really what's happening in Arvect and you know it concentrates on London to start off with. Um, you know, basically I'm obfuscating what's really going on through the use of technology, through the use of augmented reality. And the city just seemed like the best place to do that because the city really is alive with all hosts of augmented reality sort of um things that are happening in the city and you know the city's is like a living breathing place where you know it looks like a tropical paradise and you use an augmented reality to show that there's you know there's like trees growing and fish swimming around and like all this sort of crazy stuff that's almost like like on the verge of fantasy but augmented reality is bringing it to life and the city just made it a lot easier to, to do that uh and kind of focus the fact that you know, I am obfuscating reality through the use of augmented reality using the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that kind of builds on what Marco was saying about like the city as the palette 
with which you can paint the whatever sort of imagery you want and in your case it's like not to say that london's a dreary place but it often is but to be able to paint a a an augmented brush across the city so that the people who live there have a, an altered perception of what their reality is what they're actually experiencing yeah. and i like i like what you brought up about altered carbon because that is once again we're back to a visual medium <laughs> but to see visually within the city itself obviously there's a socio-political hierarchy an economic hierarchy but there's also a visual hierarchy with the the urban landscape itself and the buildings that are reaching up into the sky and the people that live up in the clouds as if they're you know living in heaven as if they're gods, almost. Yeah, gods or something like that and lincoln in in, uh, in the body scout you i think you call them sky stabbers uh and cloud condos but it's literally the people who have money who can live higher up towards the clouds and have a, an actual view of like the sun and the city itself but that's something that their economic status can afford yeah you know probably ripping off the jetsons there but it's a good metaphor <laughs> it's, it's so worth <laughs> I like the idea of a cloud condo. It sounds nice, you know? <laughs> and uh, Lincoln, I'll toss this to you. Uh, you wrote this essay called, uh, in Uncanny, Uncanny Magazine, called The Future in the Flesh, Why Cyberpunk Can't Forget the Body. And you made a comment at the very beginning of it that I thought was just very uh, tongue-in-cheek, but you said cyberpunk is dead, you know? But I think that's a really interesting point to build upon because what is cyberpunk today? in the sense that you are all here, we're all talking about cyberpunk and writing some amalgamation of cyberpunk, but you know, why, why did you, why did you make that comment? But on top of that, you know, you made arguments throughout the essay about why cyberpunk is not dead and how we can revitalize it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think the opening of that essay is kind of mimicking what people say a lot, right? So other people Mm -hmm. say that cyberpunk is dead all the time and that, Yeah. yeah, I was arguing Uh, That it wasn't. I mean, I think that, you know, we've touched on some of this, right, that there's kind of a a disjunction between cyberpunk is a set of kind of perhaps stale aesthetic signifiers of of neon and that kind of uh, Japan panic and, and, and all these other things we've talked about. And that does, to me, feel a little sterile at this point. But What I, and I think most of us here, consider more like the fundamental aspects of cyberpunk, these kind of thematic questions, do feel more relevant than ever. I mean, they almost feel so relevant that it feels like cliche to even point them out, right? But we live in a world in which the big corporations are only bigger and bigger, you know, Amazon and Google, and we live in a world in which the Jeff Bezoses and the Elon Musks and the Mark Zuckerbergs get richer and richer and control more and more of, of our lives. And these technologies become more and more, you know, dangerous uh, to society, you know, the effects of social media on politics. And, you know, I'm just saying stuff that is talked about all the time, right? But how, you know, how is that stuff not cyberpunk, right? Exactly. How, how are we not living in a very cyberpunk present? So I do, I do think the genre has a lot of, you know, juice left in its cybernetic arms or whatever I, whatever metaphor I use. <laughs> and that, you know, at least if we, we, you know, like, like Malka was saying, you know, there, there are points of resistance and points of um, rebellion that, that we should be in, in investing in, in, in our fictions mm. that are maybe different than what they were in the eighties, but 
thematically, all these things are just feel only more relevant than ever. It's sad, sadly, or, or nice for the fiction, sad for our daily existence. So. True, true. Well, as authors, it's uh, it's good for you. So, <laughs> Tim, what are your thoughts? Um, what was the question? <laughs> for the city? More, 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 more so about what uh, the, the state of cyberpunk today and and oh, how you feel oh, how we can if, keep it revitalized well i mean look yeah i i said all of mine in southeast asia or, or australia where i where i lived um and i said it the novels for example set in um vietnam the vietnam hanoi where i was living when i wrote the novel visually yes is a very cyberpunk city for all the things it's this, this huge frenetic metropolis heavily polluted but the interesting thing about Vietnam is not the interesting thing, but one of the, the, the compelling things about Vietnam is how it's just been this pawn of empires throughout, throughout its history, the pawn of a Chinese empire, of the French empire, the Japanese empire, the American empire, and then back to China again. And I think <clears throat> because of, I think cyberpunk is one means through which you can uh, discuss issues of colonialism, for example. Vietnam is also a place where individual and collective memory is often repressed. Again, cyberpunk is really good at talking about memory, memory manipulation, memory wipes. But also, I think this happens less often, but I think there's some interesting um, stories and novels um, to be had on the way collective memory can be manipulated. Um, although that, of course, goes back to 1984. Uh, so I, I think that for me, <clears throat> cyberpunk, uh, if you're looking at, if say if we are going into a Chinese uh, century, as many are saying, and that's not an unreasonable claim, I, geez, I think cyberpunk is really a fat, uh, one of the best subgenres to add to, to, to explore that what if, what if America breaks up and China is the sole, sole superpower? What next? And then if you want to talk about a surveillance state and social credit schemes and uh, neocolonialism, wow, cyberpunk has got all the, the instruments you need uh, and all the um, intellectual uh, tools you need to explore that, I think. Yeah, I agree. And Craig, what are your thoughts on, on cyberpunk today and, and how you feel in terms of where it's come from to what Tim and, and Lincoln said about more contemporary issues that it can tackle? Yeah, I, th I agree with Tim because I think if if you look at 80s cyberpunk and, you know, it was the fear of Japan becoming this global superpower that was going to steamroll over the world with its technology and its cultures, as Tim says, you could quite easily forecast that potentially happen with China. And, you know, this social credit system, if that was rolled out on a global scale, what would that mean? And, yeah, I totally agree. I think cyberpunk is the perfect medium to explore the horror, the potential horror of what that would mean for society and how that technology could be used and no, not used. I think that's that's a good thing that cyberpunk is good at looking at is how can how technology is abused to kind of maintain this elitism between the haves yeah. and the have-nots, really. I mean, um, I should add that I think that uh, sorry to interrupt, Craig, but that. No, no, we're also we're also very much talking about the present you know we're talking it's not we're not being predictive we're being descriptive 
and mm. and we we might extrapolate we might take the dna of the present and put it out in the future but so much of what i'm talking about if i said it 100 years from now it's happening right now you know mm-hmm. um but sorry craig keep going no no that was it. I, I, that was it really i just think th- think for me it w- if i'd want to see cyberpunk kind of moving forward it would be more authors kind of looking at uh take kind of taking a snapshot of where we are and almost taking like a hard sci-fi look at world building based on where we are and with where we where we're going to go and mm. really really diving into that punk aesthetic about how could you potentially overthrow a system and uh, and i always said you know the stories sometimes don't end in a good place and that the, you don't really have a hero of the story they don't end up changing the world but you know how could we drive that punk aesthetic and uh, that punk ideology and how to actually make some meaningful change or is it is it impossible mm-hmm. i don't think anything's impossible i think it's just uh all it takes is imagination and and malka i'll toss it to you as well but i think you know you've mentioned resistance and 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 the punk aesthetic do you feel like that 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 punk aesthetic uh you know obviously it exists today but what are your thoughts on on what it is and and what could change about that sense of cyberpunk as a form of resistance as a form of counterculture the way it was so present in in the 1980s with you know like Gibson and and Bruce Sterling and and uh Pat Cadigan and all the, all the all the others who really had this sense of fuck the system you know like fuck the corporations but at the same time, giving meaningful uh, critique on the lives of of everyday people and and the reality that we're living in day to day. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, as I as I've said, I do think that there's very cyberpunk action being taken today in in various different ways and places. Um, but it, but I do think that it's a very different positioning. Uh, to be cyberpunk in a world where cyber is pervasive throughout everything than it is in a world where cyber is emerging and new and there's this like race to to stake out territory in it um so which is why you know on the one hand i you know i think we get these these stories now that are about you know the single corporation that owns everything and everyone belongs to it. And then there's the chosen one hero who comes <laughs> up against it and, and breaks the thing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's okay. But it is, it is very different from, from what the early cyberpunk was. Um, and on the other hand, as I, as I mentioned before, you know, I think there's the kind of newer things that we're pushing into now, whether it's, um, I don't know, like, body modding and bio cyber stuff or whether it's um, you know other kinds of technology that we're starting to see as oh this is new and exciting and not enough people know how to do it and so if I learn I can be that underground hero who's using it to (laughs) to undermine things before the corporations get the full (laughs) like complete grip on the technology even if they already have a grip on the world so like i think that there's there's sort of both those roots um towards dealing with it and and that 
you know, we should continue to push at this and ask these questions because we do live in a world now where, you know, it's not just that everyone wants to be online. It's that increasingly you cannot get normal adulting done without having access and really access mediated through these small number of companies. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, that's a very different thing to be revolting against. Um, and it is very important that we continue to revolt against it and continue to think about, you know, what does it mean when it's not just uh, that you can be a smart hacker and figure out a way around a company's code, but that they own all the infrastructure of transmitting the information that has become, you know, the figurative lifeblood of economy, but also the way people get, you know, medicine or food or learn about dangers or help each other during. Yeah, I like that. And, and it really gives me hope because, you know, I was joking that, you know, Lincoln wrote this line, cyberpunk is dead. And I know it was tongue in cheek and, and, and I thought it, it set up the tone of that, that essay really well. And, you know, just for me personally, beyond this conversation, just witnessing what is going on in terms of, uh, books and, and film and TV and all that stuff. It's like cyberpunk is not dead, but at the same time, there may be tropes or aesthetics or critiques within the cyberpunk genre that we would like to die <laughs> as opposed to you know these new emerging uh technologies and circumstances that give us new emerging critiques and and things that can be can be implemented into cyberpunk stories uh lincoln i'll toss it back to you in terms of you know us living in a cyberpunk reality and you know do you feel that there are a lot of tropes and and things in the cyberpunk genre that have outstayed their welcome they feel worn out and you'd like to see this transition into a new age of critique yeah well i mean i think that there's some if we're talking about like video games and movies more than books right there's some some properties that are visually trapped in the cyberpunk 1980s right <laughs> in a way where the punk characters look like 1980s hardcore punks but you know mm -hmm. they have a cyborg arm. and you know some of that like surface level aesthetics just feels a little you know we've been doing it for 40 years now maybe you got to change up how characters look on a more like i wouldn't say that i think that this is something that needs to be jettisoned from the cyberpunk genre but personally i am in a little less interested in this moment in virtual reality as a space for cyberpunk kind of stories i feel like that feels a little played out i don't think it will be forever um but you know when i go online and see facebook or meta's you know <laughs> st sterile playmobile metaverse i'm like okay let's let's wait until it gets dystopian again now it just seems uh silly so you know in, in my yeah. book it's it's focused more on emerging biotech uh genetic modification, all these kind of emerging technologies. And, and maybe that's kind of a general thing is, is a look at different emerging technologies, not just uh, virtual reality. Not that I think I'm by any means the only authors, not just looking at, at virtual uh, reality. But that's that's one thing I feel like is, for the moment at least, maybe a little, little safe. Mm -hmm. And Craig, as someone who includes a lot of conversation about reality in your work, uh, more on the augmented side, but, you know, what are some tropes that you're 
uh, a bit tired of when it comes to cyberpunk and something you'd like to see brought more into the forefront? I think just need more punk, really. Um, I can't think of, I can't think, and again, I'm thinking more about, you know, uh, movies and TV series and things. I can't think of any recent, any recent sort of films where they were really rebelling against some sort of system. I think the maybe Matrix is probably one of the last big ones where, you know, the fight is to overthrow the whole system. Maybe Elysium a little bit. Um, maybe it's just the the lack of like lack of cyberpunk sort of media that's out at the moment. But yeah, I think uh, we need to bring the punk back. I think I think that's what, uh, what I'd definitely like to see. Summing up the whole podcast, bring back the punk people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Malka, what about you in terms of, you know, some tropes that you're a bit tired of? And, and I know you want to see more punk and, and rebellion as well, but um, something else that you're, you know, hoping to see subsume a lot of the tired conversations of the genre. Yeah, uh, definitely the way women are typically portrayed in it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, I mean, you do get a fair number of sort of badass women, but they're often very performatively badass um, and not centered. And I guess <laughs> I'm thinking again of sneakers having just seen it. Uh, and again, it's not totally what I would call like uber representative of the genre, but it does touch on a lot of sort of these themes. And, and one of them is like, oh, this is a boys club of boys playing with technology and they're not in the real world or whatever, but of course they are actually saving the world. Um, and I think that that, that, that is kind of a, a thing that, that runs through a fair amount of it. Um, so, and, and, you know, along with that, as I said, more attention to other places that are not, um, either white or East Asian uh, and considering that those places have technology and features too. Um, definitely, and this is more general, but I do think cyberpunk falls into it sometimes, like getting rid of the chosen one thing. Also, I'm just like, uh, so yeah, all those things. I'm I'm tired of the chosen one across the board in uh, fiction I don't, I don't, and film I don't in even, general. <laughs> I don't even know Cyberpunk never really did chosen one very much though, right? Uh, I mean, maybe it's like an amalgamation of of others. the chosen one as like I wouldn't necessarily chosen one as in like saving the world, but someone who is chosen to wield the technology in such a way where they can defeat a is this the Matrix? Really a, oppressive uh yeah like they're yeah. Often, the matrix is the big one very, Malcolm, go ahead they're often very special even if they're not yeah. like yeah. the chosen one who will save the world like you said but they're often like the person who has the unique skills or the person who has the unique background so like i'm thinking even you know that sort of last ditch oh hero protagonists father actually knew the big bad guy and they fought like there's a whole star wars thing and that worked into there and then you know, uh, I think even Gibson, like not not to the total extent, but like there's definitely a sense of like aura around the main characters, and mm. I think that's where I also get get a little bit annoyed. Um, mm. at who gets to be that 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 special glowy person with all the technological uh, augmentation that makes them even more special. 
Um, yeah, Tim, what's uh, what are some tropes or, or things that you're tired of? And, uh, and... I, a lot of a lot of what everyone said. I, when I'm feeling provocative, I say if there is a chosen one, that's not cyberpunk. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm with Malka on that one. Uh, um, I, in a completely self-interested way, also agree that anything outside of the states and East Asia is we should start reading more of. <laughs> that's only because all my stuff's out there. Um, but I think for me, what am I sick of? I think that the issue with cyberpunk is that it's, as someone said on, they were reviewing my book and they said, cyberpunk when it's good is some of the best science fiction. When it's bad, it's the very, very worst. And I think what he was getting at, fortunately he didn't say mine was the very worst, but what he was getting at in the (laughs) review was that when you strip the thematic stuff away or the punk away from the cyber, it really fucking sucks. Yeah. And so if you do just have, I don't, if you want to have neon and cybernetic limbs and long trench coats, that's fine, but have the punk in there as well. So what I, what I'm sick of seeing is that we have, it's, you see it in video games, you see it in some novels. It's when people are writing what they call cyberpunk but which really is stripped of anything that has any thematic resonance, which what which is what I think the genre is about. I do think it can be a very political genre, subgenre. And like I said, I do think it's it can be the literature of defiance. And when that's all stripped out and you just have those surface elements, which are gorgeous in a way, but um, which uh, without anything underneath it, it does make it kind of dull and repetitive. So... Uh, uh, that that's for me is the is the cyberpunk that's stripped of the punk i suppose i feel the same way because i for me the biggest thing that's why ghost in the shell is is one of my absolute favorites because aesthetically it's very beautiful but thematically it's very powerful mm. Mm. the way that it it projects its message through a very streamlined narrative is so impressive just the the breadth of commentary that it has you know, obviously coming from a Japanese perspective. So from a cyberpunk viewpoint, it's it's interesting because of the, you know, the Japan panic that that was pervasive in a lot of cyberpunk for so long. And then something like Ghost in the Shell is like, we are in Japan. And so how do Japanese people feel about all this? And that was really cool. And I think thematic resonance is, like you say, Tim, so integral to what makes good cyberpunk great cyberpunk as opposed to the trash that gets tossed to the the bottom of the pile and and people um can just kind of gloss over because it it doesn't really have much to say and Mm. all of you approach cyberpunk's big themes in very interesting ways in your work so i want to toss out to each of you individually uh a different theme something that i know you cover in your work and and I want to get your perspective on how you approach that from a contemporary perspective. And then if anyone else wants to get in uh, on that uh, topic, just just jump in for it. Link and I will go f- with uh, you first in terms of things like, I'm going to, you know, bunch these together, but transhumanism, biotech, and the human body. Um, and just how do I approach that with like a, a cyberpunk kind of theme? Yeah, but just generally from from your perspective and your your role as a, a writer how do you approach that in your stories yeah well i think um 
Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's a lot of the stuff that we've been saying already, right? Like I'm really attracted to where there's the friction in society and in, and how technology is deployed and where there's kind of gaps and seams and all of that. So one thing that I wanted to explore in the book was, was yeah, this focus on biotech and, and modification of the human body and all these technologies that are emerging and how that is probably going to be quite, well, and is in the present unequally distributed and how that is where the kind of ideological and personal reactions differ to that too, right? So in my mm -hmm. book, there's a lot of groups and individuals that all have kind of different relations to these technologies, you know, whether embracing it, rejecting it, embracing parts of it, subverting it. So that was something I really wanted to explore in that kind of technological realm. Otherwise, a lot of it is, you know, I think cyberpunk is in its, as like a kind of literature of defiance and critique is, you know, often quite satirical. So a lot of it for me was just kind of taking what already exists and hyperbolizing it a bit, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we already live in a world in which, or especially here in America, where, you know, people die from medical debt and there's, you know, complete inequality of access to, well, monkeypox vaccines, COVID vaccines, whatever we have going on at the moment. So it was pretty easy to just kind of take that and extrapolate it a bit and satirize it a bit. Yeah, and it was cool how you use uh, baseball and sports as a as a sort of foundation for this conversation because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation today about sports and and the future of it and how things like you know cybernetic enhancement or uh, biotech enhancement could play into the realm of sports when it is right now a biological game. But what happens when it becomes a cybernetic game? But then you kind of imagine past that, what happens when people ban the cybernetic game and make it a biotech pharmaceutical game and all this kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the sports world is, is, in many ways is like at the forefront of a lot of those kind of questions. It has been for a long time, right? I grew up in yeah. the 90s when, you know, baseball, Major League Baseball had its big steroid scandals. And it was all these debates about like, when is a technology, when is a medicine permittable and when isn't it when is it chemistry defining a sport and when is it biology and there's no like you know right answer or kind of clear answer to any of those things mm -hmm. but it's it it seemed like a natural setting for those kind of fraught questions yeah for sure and uh craig in your case you know you have this focus on augmented reality and arvect um in the instant reality series um but can you can you kind of describe your approach to how you wanted to incorporate augmented reality? I guess we can also include virtual reality in this uh, in this conversation as well. But the ways in which you approach this concept of what is reality and how can technology play with that? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I mean, first of all, a lot of that was born out of yeah, absolutely one of my favorite novels of all time is a Scanner Darkly. And that's, you know, it, that's yes. about your whole perception of reality. And, and I know that's drugs, which are basically, you know, substance D split in your brain into and two sides of the brain don't talk to each other. And then that's when you get the split of, of reality. But then also the concept of memories from Blade Runner. Um, and it was just, the, just this whole concept again of a bit from like some concepts from the Matrix, which I found just really compelling. The fact that what you're actually seeing isn't what's actually happening and 
augmented reality just seemed to be the perfect technology technology to be able to do that. So with the RVEX, the RVEX are grown in from birth. You've got no say or whether over whether or not the technology is is the wetware's in your brain constantly turned on. You can't turn it off. And a lot, some of this was story reasons, because if you could turn it all off, the whole story collapses and it doesn't work. But at the same time, if I think about, you know, the form factors that you use for uh, augmented reality. So at the moment, you know, you've got, uh, they're trying to get sort of lenses to like glasses to work. And then the next form factor is going to be contact lenses for me, because I'm a solution designer in my day-to-day job, the perfect sort of, uh, connection to technology would be whether it's just if it's just in your brain and i know that's mm-hmm. kind of scary from a, a cyborg point of view having something <laughs> in your brain but if i was thinking of everyday use of if i just wanted to instantly switch to being in a virtual reality construct and be able to host meetings or do something else or go and play something online or go and explore something virtually then if you could just instantly think of it and you were just in that world and likewise with the augmented reality because everything's overlaid over the top of reality and it's 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 written as if the whole world is a paradise and obviously the whole reason I'm doing that is because I'm it the reality is obfuscated for nefarious reasons and but a lot of the memories kind of come in as well so when when Tanis is is being brain hacked it's our memories that are being used against her um and kind of using it's almost reconstructing your existing memories into a happy memory that doesn't really exist to try and get your brain state to a certain level to allow like the brain hacks to work and things like that. So Mm. yeah. uh, It's just, again, leaning into those things that I talked about before about just really interested in the fact that what you're seeing isn't really there and yeah. Augmented reality is just the perfect way of doing that really. Very cool. And I, and you know, Tim in 36 streets, for instance, sort of as an extension of what Craig was saying, you play with the idea of memory a lot in the book, uh, you know, memory and identity. I think these are things that are very uh, present in, in that novel. How did you, how did you approach that? And, and how did you approach the idea of memory and the identity of your character through things like on one hand technology, but on the other trauma, for instance? Oh man, these are, these are hard questions for 120 a.m. <laughs> I'm throwing um, you, you curveballs, buddy. <laughs> uh, look, memory is, I think, important in in cyberpunk because if you can play, if you can screw with memory, you can screw with the soul. Everything we are, everything we've, anyone we've ever known, everyone we've ever loved, all our fears, all our hates. So in memory, save the thin edge of the present. So if you can have a technology that can manipulate that, um, you potentially have someone who could that can manipulate the soul, whatever you believe the soul to be, but in the humanist sense of the soul. In terms of trauma, trauma is something that I, I did think a lot about um, in my work. It's It's something that working in aid before I was a writer, that you know, certainly in my industry and amongst colleagues, uh, and of course the people that sometimes the people we're dealing with, this trauma is pervasive. So it's something that the, the I um, wanted to look at. I, firstly, I wanted to to just in a in a in a gritty way. As this is not necessarily cyberpunk, but 
do have real consequences of violence for the perpetrator and for the victim was very important. Um, because I'm fading a bit, I had to look up a, a, a quote about my novel and trauma <laughs> because <laughs> I couldn't remember it. I'm getting I'm getting tired. But this is uh, the Sunday Times said this about the novel. It said this uh, is a a kick down door kick down the door account of how past traumas, personal and national, way may one day be weaponized for social control. Um, because trauma is again something that if someone's playing with our trauma, that's another way of dehumanizing us. I'll give you an example from a short story because this is a simple one rather than the novel, which is quite is quite complex. But in one of my short stories, I looked at a technology where this guy had PTSD. He was a refugee from Vietnam. He came to live in Australia and the government said, you've got trauma. Um, it's affecting your life negatively. We can remove this memory and uh, your quality of life will improve. So let's take the best possible use of memory manipulation. The best, not, not an evil corporation, but a, a, a benign health system, let's say, that's saying, we'll remove your trauma. And the story was about if you strip away that person's trauma, are you taking away something that defines them as a person? Uh, so I, uh, from that perspective, I wanted to look at it. The, what is the best possible use of memory manipulation? And even in the best case scenario, is it still dehumanizing? And that's, that story is called Flame Trees in my collection. So uh, I think that answers your question. And if it doesn't, I'm still finishing my answer. <laughs> it's all good, man. That's perfect. And that I highly recommend everyone check out that short story. It's very, very good. And, you know, there is this sense of, yeah, like what, you know, on individual level, but also collective level, how trauma can manipulate yeah. the brain and the way memory works. But then when technology comes into play, how that how that can manipulate as well. And Malka, I'll, Malka, I'll toss this to you in terms of, another form of manipulation, which is information and how information plays into things like politics and elections, uh, but also the way artificial intelligence is infused into that equation as a form of, you know, perhaps uh, collecting that information, but also on a story level, uh, on, a, on a conflict level, a way of manipulating who gets access to information or what people perceive as real information. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I just got really interested in um, politics, meaning me in the res publica sense, you mm. know, in the ways that we organize ourselves to get things done collectively as a technology um, and how we don't we don't really think of it that way. And um, I don't want to say we've stopped innovating because there is a lot of innovation being done in in. <laughs> there's a lot of innovation being done in political manipulation but even <laughs> in the kind of like basic like how we run a democracy like what democracy means mm -hmm. it is happening but it's mostly kind of not happening in very visible ways for for a lot of people and i think there's this kind of sense that oh when we reach democracy and we have to say that in quotes because it's not but when we reach democracy we won and it's over now mm -hmm. and we just have to keep voting every four or six whatever years and that means we're good um and so so there's that that element and then the ways that specifically you know technology changing has changed 
um, what democracy means, um, both in its potential, what it could be, but also, you know, how people can manipulate it. And, um, you know, four years is a very different amount of time now uh, than it was oh, yeah. when things, when it moved at the speed of horseback. Uh, and, you know, the amount of effort it takes for people to vote is very different. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, so I was really interested in kind of critiquing the the relative lack of, in, of innovation in, in politics and the way that the willingness of people who are um, very invested in tech, literally invested in tech, to to innovate and to use that on on politics is just this huge gaping security flaw. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I was, you know, I I I found it um a useful way to approach both of these in part in part aesthetically because, you know, cyberpunk traditionally has a lot of spies, you know, yeah. and has a lot of like um uh, secret agent type people and and sort of chase scenes and people who are um, manipulating stuff for money and power and um you know it has it has a lot of that sort of intrigue built into it already uh and so i wanted i wanted to get that and um but you know i was also really really thinking about how technologies have have changed things and you know if we want to base our political systems on people the people making decisions then in order to control that, you just have to control the basis for what, on which people make those decisions, mm. um, which is sometimes emotion and sometimes a sort of a generational loyalty to a certain political party. And sometimes it's the information that they get. A lot of times it's the information that they get combined with those other things. Um, so, you know, it's it's pretty, pretty cyberpunk, really. It's so. <laughs> just not maybe in the, in the usual way. Um, yeah. And I am also fading fast, so I'm gonna have to get off soon because I'm mm. nodding. No worries. We're 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 gonna wrap this up a little bit. Lincoln, you mentioned right at the beginning whether, you know, the punk conjunction should even be used anymore, which is uh yeah, a little bit of a little bit of foresight there. Um, you know, cyberpunk has so many subgenres and derivatives like biopunk, nanopunk, post-cyberpunk, solar punk, what have you. Um Lincoln, if you want to start us off, if you think they have the power to, you know, resuscitate, resuscitate the genre and take it in a new direction, just to make it relevant again. The, the various subgenres there. Yeah. And, well, I mean, you know, this is like an old debate, right? But I, I mean, to me, cyberpunk is a pretty good term. And it, it's a, a genre that initially really did have that punk ethos that we've all kind of been talking about. I think mm -hmm. some of the derivatives maybe don't tend to i feel like mm. a lot of uh maybe a lot of steampunk books are a little more like hey wouldn't it be cool if you were like an aristocrat with a helicopter to fly over your surfs or something <laughs> uh, so you know i'm not saying that they couldn't be used for that critique but i'm not sure it's, it's built into some of those derivative genres as it is in yeah. cyberpunk but i mm. i you know this has been said i think by everyone on this panel but i agree that cyberpunk should have that that core, right? Like, or so that core punk ethos in there and that kind of, mm -hmm. those kind of themes and ideologies or what we're calling, you know, the, um, the kind of a look at the the people falling through the cracks, a, a sense of defiance and rebellion 
I think all of that kind of needs to be in the, the genre, and including in the derivative genres if you're gonna if you're gonna use the term punk. Yeah. So maybe cyberpunk keep the punk, but don't put punk on the end of whatever fucking thing you yeah. do, like right. yeah. cow punk or like car <laughs> punk or some bullshit like that. Yeah, Tim, punk. what are your thoughts on it? Tweet punk. <laughs> um. Oh God, I am fading. What's the question again? That is cyberpunk cool. Yeah, I love it. No, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> if you if you think that these many subgenres derivatives have a have a way of, you know, lifting up cyberpunk and uh, taking it into I the future, you feel like well, I don't read that shit. Man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm with I'm with Lincoln on that. Like, um, uh, I do. Yeah, they do want to stick punk on the end of a lot of things. Um, I. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't read it. I was, it's kind of a truthful answer, so I couldn't, I couldn't say too much. Um, uh, I've, I've, um, I've been invited, I think, to write for. I think it was Solar Punk. I got asked to submit a story, and I did, and they, and then they didn't accept it. So, I don't know. I guess I'm not Solar <laughs> Punk enough. <laughs> well, too much punk and too little solar. I think. You live in Australia, man. You got plenty of sun. Yeah. And uh Craig, do you have any do you have any thoughts on this idea of like subgenres or derivatives of cyberpunk? I think just slapping punk on anything that you want to seem slightly edgy or cool at the end, it just kind of it just detracts from cyberpunk for me, mm-hmm. to be honest. So yeah, people should stop doing it. So don't do that anymore. <laughs> we're, all, we're all getting pretty surly towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> all tired and, and, and grumpy and stuff. Malka, do you, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I agree that punk just sounds cool and they put it on whatever and they forget the actual meaning. It's very annoying. Um, so, but... Uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I think that there's there's important new ground to be forged in some of the newer technologies coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, I, I don't think that that cyber has a monopoly on anything, but but I do think people just throw around these labels mm-hmm. too easily as they do dystopia, which I have a major yeah, chip about. That's another one. My goodness. It's not that bad if they win in the end. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. That's not a dystopia. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, we might be cranky. That's, That's all good. Yeah. I think, I think Lincoln, you put it well. It's like if you incorporate punk into it in some way, then it deserves the, the punk conjunction. But Wait. if you don't have any punk and you just want to make it look cool, it's just like get out of here with your bullshit labeling <laughs> and trying to make yourself cooler than you actually are. And uh, we'll wrap this up. I would like each of you to share, you know, since you've all written in the cyberpunk genre, since you're all passionate about it and you have laid out a ton of amazing, amazing thoughts during this discussion. Um, Craig, we'll start with you. If you have a, a piece of advice for anyone who's breaking into the cyberpunk genre today. Oh, well, okay. Um, yeah, I think uh, just familiar, like, familiarize yourself with all the themes and the concepts really and you know get on board with the whole punk ethos um and no just have a go at forecasting from today and see where those themes are going to take you mm, i like that and lincoln 
Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, for any genre you want to write in, I think it's always great to read very widely in that and understand the kind of constellation of that genre or something. And I'm kind of stealing this line from a bit of a, a writing professor of mine, Sam Lipsight, but it's kind of like you can create this constellation for yourself and then you notice where are the gaps, right? Where do you fit in? Where is there something that hasn't been done that you can add to, to the, the conversation of any genre? And something that feels reflective of you as a as an individual and, and the things that you like to discuss. Yeah, that's always the best way. Yeah, it's like which which tropes do you want to apply? Which ones do you want to completely ignore? Which ones do you think you can completely subvert and mm. throw people's expectations? And as you say, Adrian, it's like you know how how to put uh, a new spin on something that's not been done before. Thinking about you know how technology can be applied that's never been applied before. Mm-hmm. And Tim, what about you? I mean, I think just with writing in general, you write what you love uh, and you write what you know and you write what you care about. Um, and, I, and I feel like it's better to do that. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm writing cyberpunk. I think that's a better way to do it than you sort of front yeah. front load. Uh, I want to do something sexy. Uh, cyberpunk. And then you go into it like that. <laughs> I mean, I could give a. Re- I've got. I mean, I've done articles. Where I've done. I think I, I put. I pulled it up for this interview, but then I never. I never uh, looked at the article. But I, I have written an article about all the all the fiction from hard boiled to proto cyberpunk to cyberpunk to anime. To modern, if you can go look at my website, and that's got all the I'll, things. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll put the links for that in the description, as well as Lincoln's essay that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's it's called the uh, I've called it the rather egotistically the ultimate cyberpunk primer. That might be a little bit, be a little bit over the top. <laughs> um, look, you can do those reading lists, and 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 sure, read widely. But I do I do think you just you get all the things you love, and you throw that into the into your work with everything you got. And like mm. um, it was said, it's hopefully in a new space too, where someone, maybe you haven't seen it before and you've wanted to read it, no one's really doing it. And then at the end, whether it's cyberpunk, whether it's fantasy, whether it's crime, whatever it is, then, but I, 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 I think, I don't think you should front load a genre. I think you should get there at the end. You mm. know? I like that. And Malka, some uh, advice from you as well. Uh, I mean, I think it's been, really well covered so far but um i'm hoping that at this point i can get away with the video <laughs> uh also you'll you'll notice if i actually fall asleep while i'm talking <laughs> um but you know i i agree i mean it's 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 fair and it's often after writing is to want to like write what you love as as you said and kind of imitate and go that aesthetic and you know aesthetic we've been kind of slamming aesthetics but aesthetics can be mm-hmm. great and like having a mood to what you're writing can be really important yeah um but i do think you know there's there's the stuff you write for practice and then there's a point at which you have to add something something that comes mm-hmm. from you um and just be you know especially when we're writing about stuff that is so linked into technology and it's effects on society we really want to be thinking about how that has changed in the intervening years um and the fact that you know what we understand by cyber is not uh what was <laughs> this, this, this sort of nebulous half menacing promising thing 
it's still bad, but it's, <laughs> it's much less nebulous now um, than it was when when Gibson coined the term. Mm. And uh, and and you know, I think there's a ton of really exciting, interesting, and super important stuff to be writing about how technology yeah. is evolving today and how it is affecting uh, society and how society is reacting to it and and the the way that people are sleepwalking mm. through it and the way large corporations are taking over and um making it so pleasant and slick and cool that <laughs> you will you will sign that terms of service on your new phone and sign it. there's a lot of stuff we can be angry about and interested in um, and so it's really important that we continue to be looking at the world around us, observing the world around us at the same time as we're um, offering homage to the aesthetics and the and the the really interesting stuff that that happened um, in this genre in the past. I like that. That is a perfect note to end on. Pay homage, but bring it into the present. Infuse it with yourself. Mm. Be passionate. Be angry. Be fucking punk. And bring cyberpunk into into a new age and just to close out i would like each of you to recommend you know from your perspective something that you really love an essential cyberpunk work whether it's a book or a mm-hmm. movie Shit. or an anime what have you uh craig go for it um i think a more recent one which i don't see getting um probably enough coverage is upgrade um so that's it's basically about uh kind of what Tim was talking about, someone who experiences trauma and he ends up as a paraplegic and then uh, he happens to, he already knows this kind of tech guru who's like this kind of Zuckerberg, kind of socially awkward kind of guy and he uh, he, he gets a chip implanted in his spine called STEM and it helps him walk again. And then, you know, as we talked, it's like the, the best cyberpunk, it does not end well. And just the ending is just absolutely amazing so yeah i think uh it's 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 a bit pulpy and it's a bit like action sort of heavy but it does have uh does have that kind of that message there and some of the sort of important cyberpunk themes around like uh like control of your own body and you know the importance of technology and things like that but yeah check out upgrade it's uh it's a it's a good ride yeah awesome recommendation lincoln what about you well you know a book that i was really taken with this year that i think um has some cyberpunk ethos in it is The Immortal King Rao by Wahini Vara. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would recommend that. It's a great book about a, well, it has like a lot of dystopian elements and a lot of, yeah, I would recommend it. The Immortal King Rao. Nice. And Tim, recommendation? I was looking at my list of books I read this year. I haven't read a single cyberpunk. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 don't read a lot when I'm writing it. Um, I, I I read very very widely, but I, I tend not to read in the particular, or I should yeah read in the particular subgenre I'm writing. And I'm just trying to find something. Uh, I'm looking at last year's now. Um, geez, I haven't read. It's been a while. This is embarrassing. Um, Even if it's a movie or a anime or whatever. Oh man, my brain's not working. I'm, uh, <laughs> The that's not cyberpunk. Um, I can't even give you anything from the last couple of years. I apologize. Um, it can even be an old movie, something that's a, a really essential piece for you. Oh, it's essential. Oh, I read Dashiell yeah. Hammett once a year. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, one of his books once a year. Uh, I've read all of them. 
uh it's not cyberpunk but it's just fucking great writing uh yeah. and mm-hmm. if you want to if you do want to master the art of of writing elegantly and it's and spare prose that's the person to go to and i do i no offense if anyone's wrote written a big fat cyberpunk book but i instinctively mistrust fat cyberpunk tomes i want the i want to elegant and mean and lean you know um uh, but i have not much to contribute to this last question i apologize oh read my book there you go yeah <laughs> go read go read neon love read go read everyone. Neon oh, oh shit i'm 36 streets read everything read everyone on this Arvect. no everyone on this panel we all sound pretty good so get our stuff and then you'll be fine <laughs> is that better <laughs> this is the primer for cyberpunk right? <laughs> yeah it's right here it's fine <laughs> Um, Malka, if you could just close us out with uh, your pick for an essential film or book or anime, whatever you have in mind as a an essential cyberpunk piece of work. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to pick out two new new ones um, that I like a lot. Uh, one is the Chaos and Cat on Catnet duology by Naomi Kritzer, which is um, maybe kind of edge edges margins of cyberpunk. Um, but it is, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting take on AI and community and sort of um, a lot of the near future phobias um, and it's kind of stars teenagers. So I think by definition, it's punk, like they, they are angry about a lot of things. <laughs> Reason to be. Um, and I, they're really enjoyable books that I think are very, they're also, and are also very rooted in the first one in small towns. Um, and so they they give a very different perspective, I think, on some of these issues, and are and are a lot of fun to read. And the other one is S. B. Divya's Machinehood, yes, um, which very is good. a really again like takes a lot of the tropes, takes them in new directions, and also like adds in a lot of stuff that often is so missing um, from these books, like family connections, like religious beliefs, like you know, just just it's it's a a, a very um, along with being a kind of wild ride cyberpunk interesting tech um there's also just a lot of societal uh details around it that that make it a really uh comprehensive and enjoyable book yeah i second that choice as well machinehood is fantastic and i'll close out with a recommendation for uh someone that i spoke to recently and his book uh just came out um just before this uh, this podcast is going to be released, and that's the Sleepless by Victor Maniba. Oh, okay, cool. that one's really really cool concept okay. of how uh, hyper insomnia as a pandemic translates oh, wow. into a critique of the news media and pharmaceutical companies and and capitalism. It's really oh. excellent, and cool. it it pulls a it pulls a lot from the um from the heart of the genre, uh, but grounds it a little bit more in a in a personal story and like uh sb divya's book grounds it in family and friends and everything like that so yeah i highly recommend that and malka tim lincoln and craig thank you all so much for exploring cyberpunk's past present and future with me it means a lot and honestly i've learned i've learned so much but um if you could please let viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media lincoln i'll start with you uh, well, I waste a lot of my life on Twitter, and my my <laughs> handle is the Lincoln, which I, I some that's it. 
you are the only link in there is and the body scout is your your uh, yes. last work very good book especially for people who like baseball definitely go check that out and um craig what about you where can people find you on social media yeah so uh twitter it's just craig lee gordon and uh my website is craigleegordon.com um you can sign up for my newsletter there and get like a, a free book as well uh and if you want to pick up like my last book that's rvx just search on amazon for that uh, and just something a bit more left field if you fancied some cyberpunk techno and drum and bass to listen to then head over to soundcloud at craig lee gordon there's a, a cyberpunk mix there with uh, stuff from akira ghost in the shell blade runner uh just a bit of osts mixed with techno and drum and bass so if you fancy something no. smashing you in the face from a, cool. a techno and drum and bass cyberpunk perspective then uh, check it out cool a good, a good writing soundtrack and uh, <laughs> yeah. tim's got his book so he can he can pimp that a little bit tim where, where can people find you uh, my Twitter uh, handle is the Escher Man, um, which, if I sell it, is going to be the next book that I have that comes out. Uh, the current one is Thirty Six Streets with this very sexy cover, um, and that's that's probably all you need to know. I mean, other, I'm Instagram and those other places on the TM app, but I don't yeah. I don't understand that yet. So I'm just sticking. To, <laughs> I just put some pictures up. I don't know how it works. Yeah, you'll figure it out, man. You're good. <laughs> and uh, Malka, where can people find you on social media? Uh, so, yeah, you can find me mostly on Twitter at M underscore older. I kind of dabble in some of the others, but I'm not good at it. Um, and my books, uh, Infomocracy is kind of a biggie. Um, the serial I wrote with Fran Wild and Curtis Chen and Jay Koyanagi for Serial Walks, which is now round called Ninth Step Station, which is mm. now called Ninth Step Murders, is probably more traditionally cyberpunk. Um, and it should be a really fun ride. And I have a book coming out early next year, which is uh, called The Mimicking of Known Successes, which is not so much cyberpunk, maybe in a real stretch, but it's more <laughs> of like a gas punk mystery romance where the gas is directly pumped up from the churning depths of a gas giant planet where this is set so very very um, go pre-order <laughs> cool thank you yeah. so much thank you so much malka and thank you to everyone for for joining me i appreciate you talking cyberpunk this was an awesome discussion so thanks thank for you having so much. thank yeah, you adrian thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our panel on cyberpunk, past, present, future. Thank you again to our guests this episode, Malka, Tim, Lincoln, and Craig. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. You can also follow SFF Addicts on Twitter or Instagram at SFF Addicts Pod for updates and more. And you can follow me, Adrian M. Gibson on Twitter or Instagram at Adrian M. Gibson. As well, don't forget to subscribe to the FanFiatic YouTube channel, where this and every other episode of the show is available in full video. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiatic.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. 
All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>